This is Molly Hemingway, encouraging you to listen to my favorite podcast, Issues, etc. Every day you get in-depth interviews with host Todd Wilkin asking expert guests substantive, thought-provoking questions on all of the important news and issues of our day. The expert guests are in culture, law, ethics, philosophy, theology, and apologetics. Expert guests, expansive topics, always extolling Christ, issues, etc. There's no doubt that the overturning of Roe v. Wade played a role in the midterm elections. Now, not merely the fact that that case was overturned, but that it was being spun in a way that was not entirely consistent with the truth. Things were being put into ads that were patently false, and surprise, surprise, the media was cooperating along with, well, even some of the medical community. Joining us to talk about post-road disinformation, Mark Hemingway, he's senior writer for Real Clear Investigations, author of a recent column titled, In the Left's New Tack on Abortion, Pro-Lifers See a Miscarriage of Facts. Mark, welcome back. Glad to be back. Before we get to our topic, what have we learned since our interview last week about the midterm elections? Well, that's a tough question to answer. In fact, I don't even know where to begin. It was one of the most unusual midterm elections in you know modern history. Usually, you would expect the party out of power to gain quite a number of seats, especially with a president that has as low approval rating as Joe Biden, but they didn't do so well. They didn't get control of the Senate, and it looks like if they get control of the House, it'll be by a very narrow margin. So a lot of people are trying to draw lessons from that. I mean, it might be a little too early to make sense of it, but it was a very strange election in the sense that Republicans actually won the popular vote in the election by a you know, significant margin for the, in the first time they won the popular vote in the national election since 2014. And yet somehow their votes were distributed so inefficiently that they didn't really make a lot of headway in Congress. So a lot of people are interpreting this as a victory for Democrats, and it's kind of hard not to see it as such in a lot of key ways. I mean, certainly they did very well in terms of, you know, getting out their vote. And I think it is true that certain social wedge issues and other things like abortion might have turned out to be a little more influential than than people necessarily expected. How did the Democrats prioritize abortion as an issue in the midterm elections? Well, I mean, that's what they ran on. I mean, they couldn't run on the economy. Democrats spent $320 million on midterm campaign ads about abortion rights, which was 10 times the $31 million they spent on ads related to how they were going to address inflation, which was consistently related in polls as a voter's number one concern. Now, obviously, the economy is a big deal, and it might still be voter's number one concern, but the fact that so many Democrats who ran hard on abortion rights won unexpectedly even should probably cause a a little bit of a reassessment in terms of, you know, how effective the issue was. But there's also some evidence to suggest that uh, abortion didn't hurt a lot of Republicans that ran on it too. So it's just hard to draw any real conclusions right now. Give us some examples of democratic disinformation on abortion post-Roe. Well, one of the big things they ran on, and this was a fairly consistent message in a lot of the ads and stuff, which was that, New laws restricting abortion would somehow govern or restrict the care that women could receive for miscarriages and ectopic pregnancies. And the reality is, is that that's just simply not the case. In the case of 
miscarriages. Um, miscarriage is defined as a pregnancy before 20 weeks. So it is by definition, you know, not a viable pregnancy, even in the very rare instances where someone has a miscarriage where the child is, is born alive. And abortion laws, you know, just simply don't really apply to that. But the vast majority of the time involving miscarriage, you have a situation where a pregnancy ends due to natural causes and, you know, the child is already dead. So caring for the mother in that situation, you know, the abortion laws just don't even enter into the picture. Now, in terms of, you know, ectopic pregnancies, obviously, these are situations here where pregnancies happen inside the fallopian tube. And aside from the fact that the pregnancy is not viable to grow in the fallopian tube, it presents a life-threatening risk to the mother in terms of hemorrhaging and some other things. And there's not a single abortion law in the books in the country right now, abortion restriction law that doesn't have a pretty clear exception for treatment that deals with the life of the mother and protects it. In both cases, you know, there was, you know, a lot of misinformation circling around and this was fairly consistent in ads. You know, Stacey Abrams brought this up in a debate. Hillary Clinton was tweeting about it. There was all kinds of things that made it sound like this was going to be a big issue and the reality was is that it wasn't. Now, there were some issues immediately after Roe v. Wade was repealed where doctors professed uncertainty about how to treat patients, you know, in these situations. But the real travesty there was that hospitals and other medical authorities didn't do what they should have done and issue clear guidance about the fact that abortion restrictions aren't, in fact, going to affect miscarriages or ectopic pregnancies. Do any laws restricting abortion forbid care to either of those situations, the ectopic pregnancy or the miscarriage? Any law? No, not that I could find. In fact, various groups have done you know, legal analysis on these, these sorts of things. And every single law in the books currently includes an exception for the life of the mother, treatment that protects the life of the mother. So that basically deals with ectopic pregnancies right there. And again, in the case of miscarriages, the vast, vast majority of the time we're talking about a situation where a pregnancy ends spontaneously very early on in the pregnancy and the child just dies of natural causes. And at that point in time, you're treating a woman who's had a pregnancy that's already failed and the child is dead. There's no abortion law that would require protection of the life of an infant there. How have the media cooperated in spreading this disinformation? Well, they've mostly cooperated simply by, one, not correcting the record. Usually when you have a situation like this, at least as far as Republicans are concerned, where they push some talking point that is dishonest or intentionally misleading, there's like a full court press among quote unquote fact checkers and all these other people that come out, you know, make a big deal of this. In this case, the media mostly ignored it. And in some cases, they early on, they hyped a lot of these stories about doctors being uncertain about you know, whether or not to provide care. And, you know, it seemed pretty clear to me that a lot of these stories followed along similar scripts. And I, you know, I sort of wrote about this, you know, it seemed like some sort of pro-abortion PR group or whatever was pushing a lot of these stories about the confusion immediately in the wake of Roe v. Wade in like June and July this summer, where there were some instances where doctors like refused to treat women with certain procedures and stuff because they were allegedly confused about what was going on. But like that never should have happened. And in, in that case, what should have happened is the media and these you know medical organizations you know should have stepped in and said no. Here's what the law says. Here's your guidance for how you can treat patients. And it's pretty clear that miscarriage and ectopic pregnancies are not affected by this. So, you know, let's not push this confusion because, you know, it could lead to harming women in the long run. And that simply didn't happen. I understand you contacted the, the office there of the Texas Attorney General regarding the claims of both the New York Times and the Washington Post in this disinformation campaign. What 
happened when you contacted them? The New York Times and the Washington Post ran stories about women in Texas who had some problems where they weren't given specific treatment. So there's a um, surgical procedure called a dilation and curatage. I think that's how you say it. It's known as a DNC or whatever. And it's a procedure that's also used in voluntary abortion. It's also used in some cases where there is a miscarriage. And there were two stories in the Post in the New York Times that basically followed like a very similar script. Two different women in Texas. They were both denied getting a DNC following a, a miscarriage, which led them to have painful bleeding at home and some other unsavory problems as a result of their miscarriage that could have possibly been avoided if they'd been able to be given a DNC and the hospitals or doctors or whatever refused to give them the DNC. And while it was never officially determined that the reason why they didn't give them the DNC is because they were afraid to do it because it's a procedure that's also used in abortion, there was a great deal of speculation about this. And what I found sort of interesting about this story is that, you know, again, they're like, you know, hyping this big thing about, you know, women are going to be denied care because of abortion laws. But the media could have gone forward and cleared up this confusion. You know, none of these stories like called any of the relevant legal authorities and said, hey, what does the law in Texas actually say? So, you know, I called up the attorney general's office in Texas and, you know, they got back to me with a statement and, you know, that they had actually issued a memorandum back in July you know, specifically saying, you know, exactly what I've been talking about thus far. Their laws, their way of thinking, you know, do not cover any procedure related to treating women who have, you know, experienced miscarriage or ectopic pregnancy. And again, the media should be putting that stuff out there to make sure that no woman is denied a procedure that she should be able to get that might help her if she's having a miscarriage or ectopic pregnancy. I imagine over time, this sort of thing will, you know, hopefully work its way out. But, you know, the fact that the media were sort of like playing this game rather than trying to clarify things to help women simply because, you know, they care more about abortion rights and how it might impact the elections in November, which I think it's fair to say that's the editorial bent of the New York Times and the Washington Post. It was a real travesty, both of you know, just journalism and, and basic truth-seeking. I'm curious, was similar disinformation circulating in Kansas prior to their abortion referendum earlier this year? Yeah, so just a little bit of background there. Earlier this year, there was a referendum in Kansas to strip the language out of the state constitution that protects abortion. And that referendum failed. And everyone made a big deal out of this because Kansas is a fairly red state. And the fact that this pro-life law failed in in Kansas shortly after the repeal of Roe v. Wade put a, you know, a lot of people on notice and, you know, people made a lot of head of this as a big national narrative. Well, you know, I talked to people who, you know, are on the ground in Kansas pro-life activists and stuff like that. And they were, you know, just absolutely beside themselves about how much disinformation was circulating and the way that this was all being covered by the press. And specifically, one of the women I talked to is this, you know, lawyer named Elizabeth Kirk, who's a professor for Catholic University. And she told me, you know, she was giving talks around the state about the abortion referendum and other things like that. And she got this, after she got done this, you know, I think it was a cardiac doctor of some accomplishment comes up to her and says, you know, look, I'm pro-life and I'm, you know, worried about this, but so many of my colleagues are like freaking out about what this is going to mean for, you know, how it affects treatment. And she said, well, what are we talking about? That's just not true that these laws affect miscarriage and ectopic pregnancy and, and all this stuff. And he, he was like beside himself. He's like, you know, why isn't the hospital telling me this? Why isn't the hospital telling all the doctors this? You know, how come this isn't out there? She said that one of the local papers did let her write some, you know, op-eds, but by and large, the media just like completely ignored the issue. Meanwhile, they were, you know, running ads 24-7 and there was all kinds of money pouring in nationally 
from abortion rights groups to make sure that this referendum was defeated or whatever. So there was a lot of misinformation flying around, and uh, I think that had something to do with why that um, referendum to make pro-life laws in, in Kansas, you know, failed. Mark Hemingway is our guest. We're talking about post-drug disinformation. We'll continue to discuss how the medical community has contributed to the disinformation after this. Thanks to our beloved on-demand listeners, Issues Etc. consistently ranks among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality. You can help us climb the charts by subscribing, rating, and reviewing Issues Etc. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us cast Christ's net on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. Church music directors can find a new community at Prelude to Postlude, the CPH Music blog. Learn helpful tips for managing music ministry and involving members, and meet the composers of some of your favorite new pieces. Plus, find suggestions of music to use for special services, and preview some of our newest works with free samples you can use at your church. Visit us at preludetopostlude.org. Lutheranism in the Public Square You're listening to Issues Etc. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Dr. Russell Dawn, president of Concordia University, Chicago. Indeed, the quest for truth is at the core of a university's purpose. The liberal arts, illuminated by the revealed truths of Scripture, are powerful for equipping students for a life of self-governance. A disciple is one who follows the master. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? He said that it means to take up one's cross. The cross is thus the symbol of dying for others, of dying to self for the sake of serving others. And a life of service is a life well-lived. Truth, freedom, vocation. Concordia University, Chicago, cuchicago.edu. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about post-road disinformation. Mark Hemingway is our guest, senior writer for Real Clear Investigations and author of a recent column titled In the Left's New Tack on Abortion, Pro-Lifer See a Miscarriage of facts. Folks, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is offering $1 million in matching grants to support pro-life efforts in LCMS congregations. Learn more about the million-dollar life match at lcms.org slash life, lcms.org slash life. Mark, how have organizations like the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists contributed to the disinformation? So ACOG, American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, they're a very big sort of medical group among OBGYNs. And on one hand, they do a lot of stuff that, you know, even the pro-life doctors I talk to, you know, say, well, you know, we, we have to default to what they're saying and they're helpful in this way and that way. But on the other hand, this is a medical organization that's taken an extremely political position on abortion, you know, 
they've basically taken the position that abortion is healthcare and done all these other things. Um, and they would have been the organization on the medical side that should have come out and said, nope, here's your guidance as doctors, you know, in terms of how to provide care. You know, here's what the law says. You know, here's how it would affect, you know, what you're doing, which is to say not at all. And, you know, please make sure that you go ahead and when women get all the procedures and care that they need following a miscarriage or ectopic pregnancies. But they didn't do that. One of the pro-life doctors I talked to, Dr. Ingrid Skop, is actually a doctor in Texas. She said that I think the problem is that the organizations that provide doctors with guidance, such as the state medical boards and ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, when these laws went into effect, they should have provided guidance to physicians. They should have said, hey, here's what the law says. Don't worry. You can still practice according to your standard of care. And they remained silent and I think did that for political and ideological reasons. And that's coming from a doctor who has been practicing in Texas and for a very long time and observing what's been going on there. So a lot of these medical organizations, whether it's abortion, whether it's puberty blockers for transgender kids, like all these controversial medical issues, it's pretty shocking how far to the left almost all of these, what should be straight down the middle professional organizations, have come down on these issues. Um, and, uh, you know, that's certainly been a huge problem in the abortion debate. Did you inquire with ACOG as to their relative silence here? I did. Actually, I give them a little bit of credit in the sense that they actually did get back to me with a detailed response. That detailed response didn't really address any of my questions head on in terms of why they haven't clarified any of this stuff. They insisted that they didn't do anything based on political bias, and they basically pointed me toward this like fact sheet that they put out um, about uh, emergency medical exceptions, you know, life of the mother exceptions and abortion laws. And they say that these exceptions are confusing and unclear, but they don't really provide any specific examples of how these laws are confusing and unclear in ways that would affect the treatment of miscarriages, ectopic pregnancies, or anything like that. Then they also, you know, sent me another thing from their website basically saying that they're hearing from doctors that treatment, uh, they're facing all, all these questions and treatment is uncertain, you know, after the passage of Roe v. Wade. And they're hearing this from doctors, but <laughs> like that is somehow a, a revelatory thing. I mean, the reality is, is if they're hearing from doctors that they're unclear about what to do, in fact, it's like sort of ACOG's role to step in and say, okay, how can we clarify this? You know, how can we help make it easier on the doctors that pay us dues? And this is the reason why ACOG exists. And, you know, they weren't doing that. It was an interesting response, but they at least got back to me, which, you know, a lot of people didn't want to talk about abortion, as you might imagine. Who is attempting to correct the disinformation in the media and the pro-abortion forces? <laughs> you mean other than me? I mean, this is the thing. I mean, I, I just, you know, there have been all these like just crazy stories about all this stuff, you know, kicking up dust in a ways that make it look like these laws are abortion restriction laws, even the fairly popular abortion restriction laws that still allow abortion, you know, early on in pregnancies and other things like that, things that are popular with the American people. They're trying to make it seem like those laws are like, you know, really radical and extreme. And it's just simply not the case. And the way they're doing that is you're just sowing confusion and not correcting it, even though, like I said, you know, they could go out to the state attorney generals and say, your state abortion law says X. Does this mean that doctors are be limited in how they treat you know, women with miscarriage and ectopic pregnancies? They're not doing that. They're not asking for clarity on these things. I mean, a number of attorney general's offices and the attorney general in Kansas, you know, also issued a memorandum clarifying that this issue of miscarriages and ectopic pregnancies relative to the referendum. And again, it got no coverage. So there's just no effort being made to push back against this and point out sort of the truth of it. You say that the disinformation has been largely uncontested by Republicans. Why is that? 
the reason why is it's just one, they're just scared. It's a polarizing issue. And there was, you know, one attorney general's office specifically that basically, even though I knew the attorney general was pro-life and knew that what was going on was bad, basically just said that they weren't going to touch it this close to the election because they were afraid of how it might affect things. And I don't think that you can, you know, that they can afford to do that. The fact of the matter is these laws are on the books all over the country. And, you know, we saw several big elections, you know, Ron DeSantis in Florida, Brian Kemp of Georgia, both had, you know, huge victories. Brian Kemp in a very contested one um, where there was a lot of Democratic money being in there. Um, these, these, these are, you know, governors that passed fairly big pro-life legislation. And, uh, you know, they weren't punished on uh, Tuesday. I think that Ohio's Mike DeWine was another guy who, like, I think he won by, like, something big, like 10, 20 points, signed big pro-life legislation and did very, very well. So I think the thing is, is that while Republicans, in certain narrow instances, you know, maybe certain congressional seats or other things like that being, you know, avowedly pro-life might be seen as an electoral liability, the reality is, is that they can't run away from it. Kemp did something really interesting, which is, you know, when Stacey Abrams brought up abortion in the gubernatorial debate, I mean, he actually talked about how he went through miscarriages as his wife and, you know, how it, you know, affected him and stuff like that. He basically came off as very empathetic to women that go through these sorts of things. So I think that whatever happens, Republicans, they may be being told by their consultants and all this other stuff that's just too polarizing or this, that. But the reality is, is like with uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade, I mean, genie's out of the bottle now. So they've got to find a message on this and they've got to, you know, not shy away from it. I can understand why they aren't like rushing to talk about abortion, but when it comes up, they need to have an answer and they need to be able to drive a message about caring for women and caring for children and frame their support for pro-life laws in those terms. And so far, I think, you know, we got to remember the overturning of Roe v. Wade was only a few months before the election, really. So I think Republicans just didn't have time to like sort out a, a proper message on it. And hopefully they figure out that they can't run away from it and they, they find something, some way to talk about it. Your wife retweeted a tweet from Mark Levin and it said, by the way, there is no federal ban on abortion. The Democrats do not want to codify Roe v. Wade. They want to codify partial birth abortion and slash infanticide and eliminate parental notification. Why is this so hard for Republicans to say? Why is it not? Yeah, that's a really good point. They need to at least punch back and point out that while maybe total abortion bans are unpopular according to the polling, so is the Democratic position on abortion. And it may be even more unpopular to, you know, allow abortion through all nine months of pregnancy under any circumstances to allow sex elective abortion, abortion for any reason. And Republicans really need to get out there and then, you know, make that an issue. Now, the problem, of course, is that, you know, as we've talked about, which is to say that, like, any, you know, slightly helpful message on abortion for Democrats, an incredibly sympathetic media just goes out there and just, you know, amplifies the heck out of it. Whereas, you know, Republicans that say that sort of thing are going to be probably face some sort of hostility from the media. But it doesn't change the fact that there are ways to drive a message that go around the media and other things like that. And then they've got to start doing it because Roe v. Wade isn't going to be the law of the land anymore. So states are going to be passing, you know, abortion laws. Red states will be passing abortion restriction laws and they, they need to confront that and own it and explain why it is a, a good thing. Is this a kind of post-Roe effect electorally a one-off for the Democratic Party that they get a chance to benefit it from this time, but next time Americans go to the polls, can they play the abortion card yet again? 
I have no idea. I will say, as a general rule in political strategies like this, when you run really hard on something, whatever they have, sort of diminishing returns. Abortion was a big issue. I can want to say in like the midterm elections during Obama, because Repu- Democrats ran hard on that. And after a while, it became sort of like comical and didn't resonate. Now, on the other hand, it is true that a lot of people, a lot of moderates and independents that might be nominally pro-choice or pro-abortion in some way are now having to confront the fact they now live in a state with their abortion restrictions and they may not like that. So I don't know whether or not they'll be able to run on it as effectively a second time, but it might have some impact if they run on it again, especially if Republicans don't get their act together and find some sort of message. How can the truth about abortion restrictions and Dobbs be promoted then? I think the thing is, is that there is good information out there among a lot of good pro-life groups out there anymore. I mean, Charlotte Lozier Institute does, you know, serious, you know, science and political analysis that's related to the the science of, of abortion, um, you know, and, and they put out like really good information. I think the people who are pro-life need to take it upon themselves to not just be pro-life, you know, when they're in the privacy of the ballot box, but they need to actually like go out there and they need to make it something that they care about in their day-to-day lives. They need to talk to their friends and neighbors. They need to talk to people at church and then let them know what's going on, you know, the truth. They need to seek out the information and, and spread it because obviously you're not going to count on the New York Times or the Washington Post to do that. So good news is with social media and other things like that, I think there are ways that we can circumvent that. But it's also true that in terms of, you know, pure persuasion, you know, nothing beats going out and having, you know, conversations with people that trust you. Now, I'm not saying you need to go knock on doors, but I think people are afraid to talk about abortion in sort of polite company. And I think that people need to find ways that they can sensitively and sort of smartly bring it up among people and get the truth out. Mark Hemingway, senior writer for Real Clear Investigations. He's author of a recent column titled In the Left's New Tack on Abortion, Pro-Lifers, See a Miscarriage of the Facts. You can read it at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Mark, thanks. Thank you. Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on Jesus' baptism and temptation in Luke chapters 3 and 4. And we'll respond to your email, talkback at issuesetc.org, and the Issues Etc. comment line, 618-223-8382. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.